Keep the hymn book 215. If you need the words majesty, worship is majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. 215, let's uh, sing out today. Remain seated. 215, majesty. today. It's a blessing to see these young people using their gifting and talent, working so hard to um, learn instruments. James chapter 4. Recently I read about an elderly man who called the police on his annoying neighbors. He just is fed up and called the police. Their crime? Well, they kept playing the same serenade over and over and over. And the 82-year-old German man told the officers that, quite frankly, he was sick of the music. He heard it at irregular intervals and in all hours. And according to the Associated Press story, upon further investigation, the police finally found out where this tune was coming from. You see, the old man had a musical greeting card laying on his windowsill. And when the breeze would blow in just enough, it would slightly open up that musical greeting card and play that annoying serenade that happened over and over and over. When I read that story, it kind of reminded me of the old character Pogo. Maybe you remember the comic strip Pogo, the one who so famously said, we have met the enemy and he is us. We've met the enemy and he is us. See, that older gentleman had conflict in his life. 
and he blamed it on his neighbors. But the truth was, uh, actually, it was his own fault. I wonder, beloved, don't answer out loud, but do you have any conflict in your life? Any conflict? Have you honestly stopped and kind of uh, considered the source of that conflict? You know, it's easy to blame other people. Uh, we learned that from our parents, Adam and Eve, uh, because they played the blame game right away. But when conflict comes, perhaps we should stop and quit pointing the finger and looking around everybody else and maybe look within and see if we're the reason for the conflict or if at least we have a part in the conflict. You know, conflict goes on all over the place, doesn't it? Uh, there's conflict in the world. That's an understatement. Uh, there's conflict in the workplace, at school, in the home, and sadly, even in the church at times. Since we come to James chapter 4 this morning, it's interesting to note the contrast from where we left off last week and where we pick up this week. You know, the very last verse that we studied last week was verse 18 of chapter 3, where the Bible says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that's where the passage ended last week. Peace. Righteousness. But go to the very next chapter, the very next verse we find ourselves today and look at what it says. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasures that war in your members? Now remember, James is writing to Christians here and they had conflict with one another. Now if you're a Christian, you know that we have three great enemies, Right? We battle the world, we battle the flesh, and we battle the devil. And the interesting thing is as we study today's passage here in these first 12 verses, we're going to find all three of those enemies are addressed and mentioned. We're going to see the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, look at James chapter 4. I'll begin reading at verse 1 and read down through verse 12. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, but he, who give, but he gives more grace? Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw, <coughs> excuse me, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge." There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Wow, what a passage of Scripture. 
And as I wrestled with it this past week, there's so many things we could talk about. Conflict, prayerlessness, self-centered prayer, spiritual adultery, worldliness, dealing with the devil, slander, and more. And we could talk about all of that, but here in just a little bit, you're going to want to go to lunch. So after looking at it, I realized that we could boil this passage down to basically this thought. What we have here is pride versus humility. Now, I know that's broad, but I think you'll see that clearly in this passage. We have pride versus humility. First of all, there's a display of pride here in the first four verses. We find there's a self-seeking grasping for what is wanted regardless of the consequences. I could have labeled it selfishness, but I called it pride because it's all about what I want. It's about my desire and my wants and my aspirations and, and my pleasure. You see, the selfishness that's displayed here flows out of pride. Now, they were fighting in the church, probably verbally fighting. And that's where a lot of that goes on in the church, verbally fighting. And James points out just how serious this is. This was not, obviously, this was not a disagreement over vital doctrine. This was not a fight over the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was not a fight over false teaching, beloved. Uh, this was over personal desires and personal ambition and personal wants. And just like Pogo, these believers needed to come to the realization and say, we have met the enemy and he is us. He's us. James 4.1 in the NLT says it this way, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you, don't they come from the evil desires that war in you? And that's interesting. As a Christian, our old sinful nature wants to rear its ugly head. And it wants to have its own way. And we battle the flesh. And we battle the temptations of the flesh. And rather than seek to have our needs legitimately met by God... And have Him meet our desires in a way that honors Him. We like to take matters into our own hands. In fact, verse 2 describes that. Let me read it to you in the NLT as well. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So what you have here is frustration. I have these needs, these desires, these things I want, and I get frustrated because I can't have it, and it leads to fighting. And verse 2 even talks about murder. Now, probably they were not literally killing each other. Not physically, not literally, but you know what? They probably were killing each other with their tongues. Ruining reputations and tearing down each other. We'll see that later in the passage. They were doing everything they could to get what they wanted, but as one author noted, true joy, peace, happiness, meaning, hope, and fulfillment in life come only from God. The problem was they did not ask God about these things. They did not inquire of God. They didn't pray. They didn't seek Him. And he says, you do not have because you do not ask. We have here the sin of prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. It's not a word we think about often, maybe. We don't talk about that word. In fact, I found out when you type it in a Word document, it says it's misspelled. And they don't even know what the word is. Prayerlessness. The sin of prayerlessness, not pray. As I was studying, I ran across a quote 
that gripped me from Sam Alberry. I want to share it with you. He said, prayerlessness, not praying, is a sign that someone is trying to run things, watch this, in their own strength, for their own sake, and under their own authority. In other words, when we're not praying as believers, here's what we're saying with our lives. Listen, I, I got things under control. I'm going to run things on my own strength, for my own sake, under my own authority. Basically, prayerlessness is saying this, God, I don't need you. Prayerlessness says, God, I'm sufficient. I have the wisdom I need. I have the strength I need. I have the resources I need. And I don't need you. I don't have to pray to you because I have it all under control. And yet we find out here how much we miss when we don't pray. And then there were those in the church that were praying. Verse 3 talks about them. They didn't get their prayers answered. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Here we have the wrong motive in praying. They were praying, but they were praying selfish, self-seeking prayers. In other words, they were praying, but there was no desire for God's glory. There was no desire for the church's good. There was no desire for the edification, the building up of the body of the brethren. No, it was a prayer maybe like this, if it was really honest. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the sad thing is, I'm afraid if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of times that prayer is the way we really are praying. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know it's even possible to pray a right prayer? With a wrong motive? I could, as a pastor, I could pray a prayer like this. God, I want you to save lots of people. Lord, please save them. Bring them. Let us see them be baptized. Let us baptize them. Let them, let them join the church until it's overflowing. Lord, may it be such a blessing that we have to go to two services on a Sunday morning just to accommodate all the people that are being saved and following Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a good prayer, isn't it? Nothing wrong with that prayer, is there? God wants people to be saved. He wants to save people to be baptized. He wants to save people to join a church. We want to see the church grow. But it goes back to what? The motive behind the prayer. It can be a right prayer with a wrong motive. Am I praying that for God's glory? For God's exaltation? Or am I praying it for my own glory? We battle the flesh, but we also battle the world. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, there's different types of world, if you will. We know that God loves the world. He loves the mass of humanity, the people in the world, the individuals Christ died for. But when it says here the world, we're talking about the idea of the world's evil system, the philosophies, the godless tendencies, the life outside of God. And he uses strong words in verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Wow! Do you not know that friendship with the world, that is those evil system, philosophies, godless tendencies, is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow! They were committing spiritual adultery. In other words, they were seeking to kind of carry on with the world on this side and yet be faithful to God on this side. And beloved, the Bible is clear. You cannot do that. There's no middle ground. If you line up with the world, you line up against God. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, talking about this evil system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, see those philosophies, those godless tendencies, those human uh, exaltation, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And they were battling this. And beloved, many, many believers struggle with this when it comes to the world. They want to kind of hold on to the world with this hand and hold on to God with this hand, but you cannot do it. That's committing spiritual adultery. That is being an enemy of God, setting yourself at odds with God. And they battled with it, and so do we. And then we come to verse 5. And I don't have a lot of time this morning, but can I just tell you that verse 5 is a verse where there's a lot of debate, a lot of disagreement, a lot of discussion. And depending on what version of the Bible you have this morning, and by the way, we understand the New Testament was given in Greek. And so we have an English translation of the New Testament. Depending on which translation you have, you notice that word spirit in your Bible. It might be capitalized, depending on what version you have today. It might be capitalized, capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit, or it might be a lowercase s, just a spirit, which could refer to human spirit. And the problem is we're not real sure which spirit's being talked about there. And so depending on your translation... People have different ideas. Some people see this is the Holy Spirit yearning jealousy and they say, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's the idea the Holy Spirit wants our wholehearted devotion and affection to God. And that is true. And then some say, no, what that verse means is that we have a bent within our human spirit to be jealous and envy. By the way, that is true. Not sure exactly what it is, but I'm just going to leave it there and say this. I want you to notice that regardless of who is correct there, the Holy Spirit writing through James does not leave us here and does not leave these brothers and sisters in their sad, pride-filled position. No, He challenges them and He calls them to repentance. And this is where you move from a display of pride to a call to humility. A call to humility. God offers His grace in this passage in verses 6-12. through 12. Now remember, these are believers, but they're out of fellowship with God. And God, listen, God desires to extend His grace. He desires to extend His help. I love verse 6. Did you see what it said? It says He gives more grace. And I don't know about you, but I need more grace. God wants to help. God wants to bless. God wants to encourage, equip, and minister to these saints. But they've got to understand a very vital truth, and it's a truth that all of us have to understand as well. And that is this. The Bible says, and God is clear, it says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Beloved, please understand, if we're going to receive God's grace, His help, we have got to humble ourselves. When it says that God resists the proud, it means He stands against the proud. I want you to picture that in your mind. If you're a proud person, God stands against you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a scary picture. To have God stand against me. God desires to help. God desires to bless how foolish we are when we stand in our human wisdom, strength, and pride. We need to humble ourselves. But then that's where the rub comes in. You know why? What does that look like? I mean, humility is one of those things that it's hard to get our arms around it, isn't it? And the moment that we claim to have it, we lose it. 
I mean, think about it. We can't write a book and call it humility and how I obtained it. Just doesn't work that way. And say, by the way, I'll be glad to sign your book after the service. My book that I wrote called Humility and How I Obtained It. What does this look like, this whole idea of humility? Well, thankfully, again, God does not leave us to our own devices. In fact, there are several commands in these verses that help us. And I've chosen to summarize them under six headings, and we'll go through them very quickly. When it comes to humbling ourselves, number one, beloved, would you notice, please, we need to submit to God. Verse 7. Submit to God. That word submit is a military word. It means to get into your proper rank. I know that we have those who served in the military, maybe some even actively serving now in the reserves or whatever. And you know there's a ranking there. In the military, you're very quickly taught, are you not, to get into your rank. If you're a private, don't act like a general. And so it means submit to God. Wearsby helps us. He said this, unconditional surrender is the only way to complete victory. Unconditional surrender is the only way to complete victory. If there's any area of life kept back from God, there will always be battles. He says this explains why uncommitted Christians cannot live with themselves or with other people because they will not submit to God. They say, God, you can have this and this and this, but this is mine. No, it's all His. He is Lord. He is Master. And so I submit to God. I I come. I submit to Him. And then it's interesting because it says next, I resist the devil, verse 8. Resist the devil. You know, as a believer, if you're a child of God, you don't have to give in to temptation. You don't have to sin. You can never honestly say that old saying, the devil made me do it. Remember, we talked about we battle what? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And here's the devil right here. And we don't have to give in to his schemes. God has equipped us and God has helped us. We can resist. In fact, wasn't it just last week in Sunday school? If you were here, what did we study? We studied the spiritual armor of God and the spiritual warfare that goes on. And so we submit ourselves to God. We get in our proper rank. We give these things to God. We resist the devil, his schemes. And he is a schemer. He's a liar and the father of lies. And then verse 8 says that we're to draw near to God. What does that mean? How is this done? If I were to ask you, how do I draw near to God? You'd probably say things like pray, uh, read your Bible, go to church. Um, And by the way, that would all be included in drawing near to God. But it's interesting that verse 8 kind of elaborates a little bit more about something we forget about. And that is drawing near to God starts with repentance. If you notice in verse 8 it says that we're to cleanse our hands. That refers to the outward acts, the things that we do that are wrong, that offend a holy God. He says, cleanse your hands. Stop doing that. And then he says what? Purify your hearts. So we move from the hands, the outward acts, to the heart, the inward part of man and women. And what do we have here? He says, we get our heart right with God. How do I draw near to God? Get your heart right. How do I get my heart right? Come to God and ask Him to cleanse you to purify you and give you a heart that's right toward Him. Now, I said we're going to go quick. Next one. Take sin seriously. We don't really appreciate just how wicked sin is. In fact, the truth of the matter is this. We like to wink at sin and even laugh at it at times. 
Can I read verse 9 to you? I'm reading the NLT again because this kind of sheds a new light. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Now what God is saying there is not, He's not saying this, listen, if you're a Christian, you should never laugh. You should never have joy. I have to think about over the years, some people are surprised that, oh, you're a pastor or you, know, you, you laugh and you joke around. Listen, some of the most joyful people in the world ought to be Christians. Well, here's what I'm going to say to you, beloved. What this verse reminds us is this. There's a time to laugh. There's also time to mourn. And when it comes to our sin, we need to understand just how serious God takes sin and we need to take it serious too. This is true sorrow over sin. Not sorrow that I got caught. Not sorrow that I got called out, but sorrow that I offended a holy God. And my sin is serious. And my sin is what cost Jesus Christ His life upon the cross. And I take sin seriously. Next, trust the Lord to guide. Trust the Lord to guide. Instead of giving, or excuse me, instead of striving and struggling to get what I want and to get where I want, as we see them earlier in the passage, we need to humble ourselves before God and allow God to guide us and direct us to where He wants us to be. James 4.10 again in the NLT, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. I've got to remind you, beloved, that in the Christian life, the way up is down. The way up is down. So what do you mean by that? Well, just ask Joseph in the Old Testament. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis? Much of the book of Genesis is given to him about him. And we, we've studied that in many years gone by. When you talk to Joseph, you know, you think about, oh man, he was second in charge behind Pharaoh and there in the palace. But, you know, Joseph would have to tell you the whole testimony. He'd have to tell you about the pit and the prison. The things he had endured before he got to the palace. The way up is down. Or you can talk to Jesus Christ, the one who is highly exalted at the right hand of the Father even now, but we know that He had to go through the cross and to the tomb. Trust the Lord to guide. Don't strive. Don't struggle. Don't scheme. Don't kill. Don't plot. Don't do those things. Submit yourself to God. Draw near to God. Give your life to God and trust Him to lead you and guide you in your life. And then finally, watch what you say about other believers. Watch what you say about other believers. Verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12 deal with the idea of slander. Slandering our brothers and sisters in Christ. And some say, well, that seems out of place here. I mean, because it's talking about all these things. But I think it's in, it's in the perfect spot. It makes perfect sense. We studied in the recent, recent weeks what? We studied the power of the tongue. We also studied the folly of godless, worldly wisdom. And we're looking right here at struggling with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and trying to get pleasure and striving for what I want outside of God's will. And we think that most of the fights going on in these believers' lives were verbal in nature. And uh, this summarizes so well what we've been studying. It says, don't slander your brethren. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Verse 11. We're to love our brethren as ourselves. When we disobey and slander our brother or sister in Christ, um, we don't know all the facts. The Bible says there's one lawgiver, and that is God. And God's going to judge us, not 
we judging each other. But I've got to give you another caution because some people go too far on the other way. That's not to say, because look at what it says. Do not speak evil one another, brethren, verse 11. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so some will say, well, you know what? I shouldn't make any judgments at all in my life. And in the church, we should never make any judgments. No, beloved, listen. It's not to say we don't have to make judgments in the church. We have to analyze a person's beliefs and their behavior. Uh, here in just the next, who knows, within the next month, we're going to give you a nominating list for you to suggest men to serve as deacons in the church. And we're going to give you biblical qualifications from the Scriptures of who would qualify. And then we as a church, we formed our own. And, and you have to think about the different people and pray about it and say, well, maybe this brother would be good or maybe that brother would be good or I don't think that brother could serve there. And that's not tearing down your brother. That's not going against the Scripture. That's analyzing a person's belief and behavior and qualifications. If God calls me somewhere else and it comes time for you to, to, to bring forth another man to be your pastor, you better thoroughly examine that man. And you better make sure you know about his behavior and his beliefs and, and what he stands for and what he's going to do and what he's done before you call him as a preacher. Because listen, it's not the idea, well, you know what? I just put blinders on my eyes and I don't make any judgment about anything in any way, shape, or form. That's foolishness. This verse does not teach that you're to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to wickedness and evil. Think about church discipline. The Scriptures talks about it. There are things that disqualify someone from serving in certain offices. There are things that I could do that you have to say, that's wrong. You're disqualified. And that's biblical. But a lot of people, they just want to quote Matthew 7. And they say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. And that's like their motto, their catchphrase. They think they'll never make a judgment. But beloved, they quit reading too soon. Because in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. But in verse 6, here's what He says. These are the words of Jesus. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, if you're going to obey verse 6, you have to make a judgment call. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, if you're going to obey verse 6, you have to figure out who the dogs and swine are. By the way, that's a reference to the enemies of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not the idea of I just live just blind and just senseless because that's foolishness. What he's saying here in this passage, beloved, is this. Don't slander. Don't malign a person. This is not confronting a brother because you love them and they're doing things that are wrong. After you've examined your own heart and you say, I've seen this, I want to pray, I want to help you. No, this is sinfully tearing down a brother or sister in Christ. Gossip and maligning them and all that sort of thing. MacArthur said, censorious, hypocritical, self-righteous, or other kind of unfair judgments are forbidden. And so we've got to be careful and watch what we say about other believers. Well, we got to sum up because you're hungry and you want to go home. It's cold in here too, isn't it? If I'm cold, I know you're cold. Conflict. When it comes to conflict in our lives, we need to stop 
and consider the source. And ask questions like this. Is it me? Is it me? Is it my selfish desire? Do this in your home life. Do this in your marriage. Do it in your parenting. Do it in your work life. Do it at school. What part? Am am I any part of this? Is it me? Is it my selfish desires? Is it my pride? Is it my prayerlessness? I haven't prayed about these matters and, and laid this before the Lord. And if I find that it is all my fault, some of my fault, most of my fault, I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to humble myself and pray and draw near to God and allow Him to draw near to me. We've got to always remember, beloved, when it comes to true, lasting satisfaction, the deepest longings of your heart and life, they are fulfilled in nothing and no one else than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that you're longing for. He is the one who meets your deepest needs. Do you know Him today? Father, we have covered a lot of rich truth in a short amount of time. And Father, I know that we've only scratched the surface of Your wonderful truth here in the Scripture. But the Holy Spirit has shown us some things that apply to us today. And I pray, Lord, that You would... Help us to respond in obedience and faith. Help us to examine our lives in the midst of conflict and be honest with You and to deal with You in whatever area it may be. I pray, Lord, if someone here does not know Christ, that they would come to saving faith today. Holy Spirit, have Your will and Your way in the invitation. May You be honored and glorified in this place. We love You and praise You and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, 275. The altar's open. We'd invite you to come if you have a need. We'd love to pray with you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. 275. Let's stand together and sing. I surrender all. Let's stand and sing.